morning, everybody. It's like a comfortable glove or an, an old worn slipper here being back. Uh, it's very good to be with you. Um, and I hope you're enjoying the series on Romans. It is marvellous, isn't it? Just fantastic. Well, yeah, I've got to look at the camera over there. What Richard said to me, you, is you and look at the camera. Take your glasses off and give that sincere look <laughs> at the camera. Like this. Okay, keep waving, Richard, because um, I'm kind of not used to this. So, I know many of you will love walking. How many of you have climbed a hill and walked out into a spacious place where you've got a tremendous vista? If you pull up the PowerPoint, please, dear June. Here's the topic for today. June, if you want to pull up the PowerPoint, I think... Oh, there we go. Okay. So, some of you will remember five years ago I walked the Camino. I'm doing it again this March. In a bit of a frailer state, might I say, than five years ago. And you're, there, you climb three small mountain ranges. The first one is on... Am I moving? I am. You're right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't change it. Put, put it back on. It, it is on. It is on. Okay. <laughs> you climb three small mountain ranges. The first day is the worst one when you climb the, foothill, the, climb the foothills of the Pyrenees. This is towards the end. And you really, you've got no idea when you're climbing this road. I mean, roads are brutal on your feet, aren't they, where you're going. But then you come out onto this path and you see the mountain up ahead. When you're viewing it from a distance, there's snow on it. But by the time I got there, all the snow had gone. There will almost certainly be no snow this year. I mean, it is windswept. Imagine being a pilgrim 800 years ago with just, you know, a bit of leather on your feet and a cloak which would get damp. I mean, you're, you're at fair altitude and it is cold, as I said, yes, they've got these lovely little houses up there. It's a place called O Cibrero. don't know what it means, but if you Google it, you'll see more pictures. And then you come out onto the top into this spacious place with the most tremendous vista. don't think you can capture I don't know what height you're at. You're probably at about 1,500 metres, something like that. But you're in northwest Spain. Um, and it's a place of peace and your feet hurt, and you breathe a sigh of relief. So that, that was it when I arrived in the evening, or late afternoon. This is it the next morning. And then you walk off, you see lots of people on the hills limbering up, warming up, and you walk off through this little um, pathway, which is shrouded, and it's like you're walking into Wales. From there on, Tria Castella, it's just like Wales. Uh, it's interesting how Galicia is very much like Wales, or Cornwall, actually. So here we are in Romans, and actually the first four chapters have been quite solid, haven't they? Let me say they've been necessary. They haven't been difficult, but they've been very solid, because Paul needs to, uh, uh, for a correct prognosis and a correct solution, you need a correct diagnosis. So Paul has been working really hard to show that everybody needs Jesus, that everybody needs forgiveness, that all alike are under sin, Sin is both the way we are, because um, it is a noun, and it's also a verb at times. It's the things that we do that come out of who we are. And so all fall short of the glory of God and actually need Jesus, all need forgiveness. So you dipped into the valley of sin, if you like, on the chart up there. And now we're on the first vista, the first viewing point, which is the point of peace, the first resting point which says, you, Christian, have peace with God because you have been justified. Your sins have been atoned for. You know, the things you've done wrong don't need to trouble you anymore. They have been, they've been covered over. 
So for those of you who remember, I was the pastor here many years ago. I was Elijah and Elisha has followed me. Yeah, let's pray that's the case. It is, it is, isn't it? And I'm now the chaplain up at Hinkley Point C dealing with people's well-being, which of course is the latest God, isn't it? Everybody is looking for that evasive thing called peace or well-being. Are they looking for the peace of God? Possibly. Sometimes they're looking for the peace of something. I don't think they're looking for peace with God. Okay? That doesn't even enter people's minds nowadays. You know, they're looking for well-being, and there are so many approaches, and there are so many promises. We need to recognize that psychology is a very young and immature science that promises much. And now after four and a bit years of doing it, I'm telling you, nothing for transformation. Stay with me. For changing people's lives, nothing beats a proper conversion. There is nothing like it. I'm very careful how I share that. At times I feel, oh gosh, I could show you a better way. I could show you a way that would change you somewhat overnight. And certainly over your lifetime, I can show you a better way. Often I get the privilege of doing that. I get to speak about my faith a lot. People know that I'm an uncompromising Christian and that I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a huge, huge privilege. But there are so many alternatives on offer that promise much. It's the latest thing, the latest fad, because the world's in such a state. So many things on offer that promise and yet don't deliver. Peace and well-being comes and goes, which is dependent on so many things that I don't yet understand. But what is really needed for people is this. And this is what it addresses. I don't know if you can read it. Can you? Well, if you're at the front, you can. You've got good eyesight. Peace with God. Peace with God is what is needed. Christian, whatever you feel, whether you have peace inside tonight, that existential experience tonight. God's been a long sermon already, hasn't it, Chris? Whether you have peace inside now or not, if you're a Christian, you have peace with God. That is the thing that really matters. That is the thing that counts for eternity. That is why we are here this morning. Peace with God, it says here in verses 1 to 2. Okay? Peace with God is a present continuous sense. Therefore, because we have been justified, past tense simple, which basically implies it is done and dusted. You were justified when you became a Christian. You have present continuous peace with God. Yes, this is because you've been justified, passive, simple, done and dusted through Jesus' blood. So we're not talking about here. They talked about peace in those days. You've heard it said in other sermons here in the Roman series. The Pax Romana, have you heard of that? The iron fist in the kid glove. My goodness, they kept peace through blood. It was a wonderful, wonderful empire. I mean, the longest we've ever known. We have... I have a, had a friend back in Winchester who was digging in their garden. They found an alabaster or marble bust, a Roman head, just like that. I mean, it's everywhere under our feet, but it was brutal. It was based on the shedding of blood. Now, Christians, you have peace with God based on the shedding of the blood of one man, not many people, one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you. And whether you have peace in yourself or not, that is what matters and that is what counts that's what the apostle paul is saying you've been made righteous you've been made right with god you have been made right with god it is a fact it is secure it is your eternity is secure because you have peace with god and a relationship with god now 
Often nowadays, everybody talks about people as children of God. Have you heard that? Oh, we're all children of God. You need to know that's not what the Bible says. It's not, is it? It's a lovely catchphrase that everybody picks up on because it's so equitable. And we all love that nowadays. Everybody is made in God's image and is worthy of respect and has wonderful, wonderful characteristics along with the rest of the characteristics that we all have. But you become a child of God when you give your life to Jesus. You are adopted into his family. Before that, you are not in his family. You become a child of God by a transaction. Simply, you give your heart to Jesus. God gives you eternal life through his son. You are adopted, a full member of the family with all of the inheritance of a Roman son. I can't go into it all now, but when you're adopted as a Roman, you had all of the privileges of being a Roman citizen and being a son. So you become a child of God, irrespective of your feelings. You have peace with God. And so it says here, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So therefore, because we have peace, we are justified, we have peace with God, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is that? What are we rejoicing in? What is the main thing that we are looking forward to? The hope of the glory of God. So it's something that is not ours yet, but it is promised. We rejoice in the hope of heaven. That is what we are looking forward to. Remember, if we're going about old songs, you remember the 1980s, rejoice, rejoice. Christ is in you, the hope of glory in your hearts. The hope of heaven is placed in your hearts when you become a follower of Jesus. And everything else, loads of other things, come and go. Peace is evasive, okay? But that knowledge that you're a child of God and when it's all over, you're spending eternity with him, is there forever because God is faithful, faithful to the promise that you have made. It is the hope of heaven. This is what awaits us. And Matt, you alluded to it, and I know you would because it's one of your favorite verses in mine. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, you're going to get emotional. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. What's all, what's all that about? Yeah, no more chaos. It's the storm. In the Old Testament, water is a wonderful thing, but a chaotic thing if you live in a wadi. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them. They will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. Gosh, I could go on and I should go on. This is the hope of heaven that is in our hearts. And we simply can't understand it. So it has to use words of Jasper and Carnelian and streets paved with gold and us dancing and things like that. It'll be more wonderful than you can ever imagine. So whether you have peace in your heart now, this is what awaits you. Eternity 
And this awaits. That is what matters. This here, don't know what I'm going to say in German, is an Augenblick. This here is a blink of an eye. It doesn't feel like it, because it's all we have and it's all we know. And what lies beyond this? It is shrouded. I'm going to slight digression. The night before my mum died, she said, she said, I'm a bit nervous, dear. And I said, what's that about, mum? What are you nervous about? She said, well, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit nervous about what waits us when we die. And I said, yeah, mum, I totally understand, because it really doesn't tell us much. It just paints a picture. But I said, we know the way to get there. And that is Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. She said, oh, I'm very, very happy with that, dear. The next morning she died. You know, isn't it a wonderful, wonderful thing? This is just a blink of an eye. Yeah, it is all we have. It's all we experience and all we know. So, Paul goes on, what about the meantime? What about the sufferings of life? I don't like these bits in the Bible. Say, Therefore, we rejoice in our sufferings. Hands up who rejoices in their sufferings. <laughs> I go, oh, come on, Lord. You know, I mean, Paul, the Apostle Paul must have been on another planet or something like that, or a martyr or something like that. What happens in the meantime with life and love and loss and pain and suffering and work and neighbours and relationships and people who are difficult? There's a lot of difficult people around at the moment. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, it, it, I, don't, I don't look, I dare look to your eyes for confirmation, but it's like the world is a coiled spring. You know, what about the meantime? Okay, it's all right being pie in the sky when you die. What about steak on the plate while we wait? What about now? Well, it says we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't think, I don't think we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm really in pain now. Oh, I feel really pleased about that. Um, I think it's a bit more than that. I think we rejoice in the plans of God. That God is working his purpose out. Here and now. It's not just about glory and eternity. It is the here and now. God is at work in us, his purpose to perform, building a kingdom of power, not of words. God is at work in you now. Hallelujah. Just as well. Isn't it, Sylvia? Just as well. I used to think that when you got older, everyone just mellowed, right? And and we all just became paragons of virtue, like my mum really, and I realised that to be a Christian and stay a Christian takes significant work. To be a nice person, when you're over 60, takes a significant work of grace. (laughs) I'm training like crazy for this 500 mile walk and everything hurts already. I go in faith, my own great weakness feeling. I mean, it's true, five years ago I was a man of steel, right? And I am the man, I feel like Lardy boy now, because I spend so much longer in the car and at my desk and so on. God is at work in us to take us to glory, and God is at work in us now. For nothing is lost, or nothing need be lost. Pain can embitter you, it's a choice, but it doesn't happen. And I want to tell you, I'm going beyond scripture here. I honestly don't believe that anything that we've done here and now will be lost in glory, right? It's not like the old harp advert where you sit on a cloud strumming a harp and drinking your harp lager, which none of you remember because you're all too young. Surely, right, if God made fluffy bunnies and stick insects down here, Whatever awaits us, once we've metamorphosed, 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 
changed. <laughs> it's got to be better. The dragonfly is better than the pupa, isn't it? Surely all of our experiences will be useful in eternity because it says, don't you know that you'll sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel? Hey, come on, Lord, give me a planet. Yeah? You don't, don't you know that you will judge angels? You get these snippets of it. It's not going to be purposeless. It's actually very, it's both glorious and angelic. It's also very earthy because it's the new Jerusalem. It's God coming down to here. If we're not all underwater, perhaps that's again. Perhaps the thing, that's the thing about there'll be no more sea. Who knows how that is going to be applied before our lifetimes are, are out. Nothing will be lost. All that you've learnt and all that you've boasted in in Christ, you will take with you on the other side. And, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and nothing is lost. Go back to my notes. Yeah, come back. Bring him in. And nothing is lost now. He is at work now. That is the Christian message that everything in your life can be made redemptive and purposeful and useful now. I'm not saying that it's easy. And it's certainly not easy for Pam and I. Everybody else's life looks really, really easy. Yeah? And it sure does on Facebook. Look at me. With, um, grandchildren are utterly exhausting, aren't they? I pity any of you who have children of your own children at the age of 60. How would you do it? Everybody's life appears easy on the surface, okay? But underneath it, every life has its own secret pain. But it is, u- it is useful because we are not the same as the rest of the world. We grieve, but we do not grieve like the rest of the world does that has no hope. A dear friend of ours has just lost somebody really, really dear to them. You know, that's a succession. It's almost like a hat trick for them. But we do not grieve like those who have, have no hope. The Christian message is that good comes out of evil, that God is in charge, that everything is irredeemable. I remember this is a long time ago, reading a little story. Pastor comes home from the church and his wife is dressed completely in black. And being a bloke, he doesn't notice it to start with, or say anything about the fact that her hair's been done. But later on says, you know, why are you dressed in black? Has somebody died? She says, it's because you're acting like God has died and that he doesn't exist anymore. But God is on the throne. I remember how that struck me all those years ago. So, because of this, basically, that attitude is what you would call practical atheism, which has been referred to in other sermons, where we believe it, but practically we don't live it. Let me say that again. You believe that God is on the throne, but like me, you practically don't live it, and every time something comes along, oh no, this is going to take me out. Now I share with you that we share humanity, but God is alive. God is at work in us, his purpose to perform building a people and a kingdom of power, not of words. And all things are possible through faith in God, even though it is not easy. And so, because of this, you can have the peace of God, which comes and goes and is sometimes evasive. Because we have peace with God, we therefore have peace of God. You, Christian, are seated in heavenly places. You are here in the, congre- in the congregation, but like Jesus, he said, John 3, nobody has gone into heaven except the Son of Man who is in heaven, if you read the footnote of it. It's absolutely bizarre. So while Jesus was on earth, guess where he also was? In heavenly places. 
And we are in Christ, again, a theme of Romans, you know, shove the man into the Bible, where the Bible goes, the person goes. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. That is a place of quiet, authority and rest. So the more we run around, and the more you shout, the less you're actually showing the peace of God. Yeah? So the people on our, on our streets, dear people who shout and holler at people and tell everyone they're going to hell, that is not demonstrating the peace of God. I have a friend, Jason Clark, this is. The devil showed up in his room one night, he said, and he woke up and went, oh, it's you, and went back to sleep again. How about that? Right? So when the hordes are rushing at you, you're seated in heavenly places, in rest and authority, you say, uh-uh, enough. Stop it. Peace. Be still. And that's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you're in two places. You're dwellers on earth, and you're dwellers in heaven, and you take heaven to work tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I need it. Because I do love it. I love the brutality and the integrity of it. There's no mind games you know what I mean? I'll be honest with you. Some of the things I found difficult about church at times when I was leading them was the mind games involved. Like, pastor, you've offended me and you've got to guess how. <laughs> Honestly, that's the worst thing for me. That plays on my paranoia. I can think of a thousand ways in which I've offended you. But at work, sorry, they just tell you to F off. <laughs> Excuse me. That's the reality for you in your workplace, isn't it? it yeah, it is. Not in the church. I love the brutality and the integrity of itself, but I need to carry Christ with me. And at times I feel like I'm running on vapours, because it is brutal, but it is wonderful, isn't it, Mary? It is, with wonderful, wonderful people. I used to think it was only Christians who were nice. I realise now we're just pretty much the same as everybody else. (laughs) You know, there's nice and nasty. This is the peace of God. My God is able to deliver me, And even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your idol. Yeah? Meshed, Meshach, and Mebungalow in the fire. Do you remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My God is able. Don't let my heart, let nothing disturb thee, nothing affright thee. All things are passing. God never changeth. Patient endurance attaineth to all things who God possesseth in nothing is wanting. Alone God sufficeth. Even if he doesn't deliver me, he has a plan, and I'm going to glory. And God is working his purpose out. So we experience the same as everybody else, but we react differently. We do our best to not doubt God and his love. Don't get paranoid and think that God is punishing you, okay? Most judgment happens here, after we pass, excuse me, after here, after we pass. There are repercussions here, judgment happens after, there's deeds and consequences here, there's judgment after the grave. Suffering takes our faith beyond theory. Suffering takes our faith beyond theory. So we react differently to the world that has no faith, and we're a little bit like tea bags, to be honest. Christians are like tea bags, you don't know what you're made of until you're put into hot water. Yeah? But we have all the issues that the world has, but we see it from a different perspective, and we know that God is working his purpose out. We are people of hope. We are people of hope in a world of war. We are people of hope in a world of climate change. Uh, This is not denial. Being a person of hope in a world of climate change is not denial. Uh, We may solve it. I think it's real myself. 
We may solve it. I think it's real. It was 13 degrees centigrade on my way driving here. That is not normal. I was born in 1962. Who remembers the winter of 1962, 1963? Yeah, goodness gracious me. But God may even use this to bring people to himself. That as the world around us cries out that things are wrong, as the world around us cries out, Adam, Adam, where are you? Come back to me. People may come back to God. As I read the book of Revelation, I think still some refuse to repent. It says they cursed God. They gnawed their tongues, but they cursed God for everything that was happening. But others, I suspect, as the days go on, the days will grow darker and the light will shine brighter in people's lives. So for that stuff that we hoped for in the 1980s and the 1990s that God would bring revival and nothing happened really, to be honest, apart from Alpha, that was the best thing to come out of all of those days. Who knows what might yet happen, but we are people of hope that God is working his purpose out and he is in control even of the elements. Our home and our hope is elsewhere Have a read of Hebrews when you get towards the end. Hebrews 11 verse 10. Abraham was looking for the city of God and his hope was elsewhere. Hebrews 13 verse 14. We are looking for the city that is to come. This is not our home, but we long for the place that is. We are people of hope in a world of war, climate change, a world of self that keeps letting us down, in a world where others are difficult, in a world where marriage takes work, in a world where prayer is needed. All these things build hope in us. But what is this hope? You might say, I don't feel hopeful. I feel quite, I feel full of dread. Asterix and Obelix are great books, aren't they? Where there's a bloke in Asterix and Obelix called Catastrophix. <laughs> I feel full of hope. I feel, yes, isn't there? there's Getafix, which is really interesting, came out of the 60s. And there's Catastrophix, who feels like the, the, the heavens are going to fall in on him. So what is the hope that we, that we have? Sometimes we daren't get too hopeful lest that hope gets dashed. What is the hope that doesn't disappoint us? Hope does not disappoint us because God is at work. We're going to heaven. Swing low, sweet chariot. And here's the proof, the witness and the surety. A final and third point. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. How do you know that you have a hope that will not disappoint you? Because you know and you sense the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Christian, have you felt that? The love of God poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you feel it all the time? No? Anybody here who's engaged at the moment, engaged to be married, or when you were engaged to be married... Did you feel your wedding ring all the time? Excuse me, your engagement ring on your finger all the time when you're engaged? I doubt it. The thing about rings is they, they kind of, you become familiar with them, don't you? The engagement ring on your finger, you do not feel all the time. One of the words used for the Holy Spirit is that he is a down payment. He is the engagement ring of the hope of glory that is to come. And that means you don't feel the engagement ring all the time, but it is still on your finger. And you have had a touch from God. It might have been 25 years ago. I mean, in the early days of my Christianity, I had big encounters with God. Fairly regularly. They're less so now. But the engagement ring of the hope of glory is still on. You have the hope of glory in your heart because God has poured out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So I'm coming into land. 
You need to focus on that. You need to think of the days when God affirmed his love for you and gave you surety and that the wedding ring, the engagement ring, is still on. And it may be that you need a fresh touch from God this morning because you can only have hope for glory if God is continuing to pour out his love in your heart by his Holy Spirit being revealed to you. So in the end, it's a fairly simple message. Encounter the Lord this morning. And you can encounter the Lord, whether you feel anything or not. You can encounter God through this means of grace. Yeah? And it is tangible, and it is visible. What's that? Physical. And you can touch it, and you can feel it, and you can eat it, and you can sniff it, and you can drink it. So if the sense of God in your heart is missing at the moment, well, you have other senses of taste and touch that remind you of the hope of glory that you have and the love of God poured out in your heart. Be ready to come and break bread this morning. And it might be that you need more than that. It might be that God will touch you by his Holy Spirit as you are receiving communion. What a wonderful thing. If not, perhaps come and get prayed for at the end. We can't promise anything because that stuff depends on God. We can promise we will pray for you that God's love will be poured out. And in the early days of being Christians, it was so simple for us. When any of us was low, the others would all gather around them. They'd put their hands on them and just go, Ashanda, 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 like this, pray in tongues until we were all doing it and we all felt encouraged. And then we all went down the pub. <laughs> it, was a, it was as simple as that. Why don't we do that kind of stuff anymore? So if you want, we won't do the Ashanda, Ashanda, buy a Skoda, ride a Honda stuff around you if you don't want us to do. But let us pray for you and encourage you in the Holy Spirit so that you know that you have the hope of glory in your heart.